Hi there, I'm Carly Kloss, and this is TechSetters Podcast, hosted by the brilliant Samantha Weiner and Jenny Wang, made possible by our friends at If Then. If Then is founded on the belief that if we support a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. This series is about telling the human stories behind our greatest innovations, inspiring open conversations with the very people changing our world through tech. In every episode, Jenny and Sam meet the most game-changing COOs and CTOs, founders and engineers, inventors and mentors, showing that behind so many of our favorite products are women just like us, dreaming of new ways to connect, create, and experience the world around us. Here at Codus Classy, we've realized that you can't be what you can't see, and telling these stories has the power to inspire, motivate, and change the world, turning every one of you listeners into a future legendary guest. In this episode, Sam and Jenny speak to Deborah Sterling. Debbie is the founder and CEO of the amazing company Goldie Blocks. Goldie Blocks is a toy company that uses storytelling and games to inspire more young girls to pursue a life in STEM. She's since been recognized as a Times Person of the Moment and a Forbes 40 Under 40. Hearing her talk about the problems that inspired her business really made me think about the why behind everything we do. Debbie is also an If Then ambassador, and as you'll hear in this episode, a legendary brunch host. Goldie Blocks is such an incredible company, and we would love to just start the conversation there especially like centered around your path. Like I feel like your path to becoming the co-founder of Goldie Blocks was kind of serendipitous and authentic. You had an engineering degree and also an executive role at a jewelry company, but it was at an idea brunch that you first came up with Goldie Blocks. Can you take us back to that light bulb moment at the brunch where you first realized that you had an idea that fit both your passions and skill set? Definitely. And thank you for doing your homework. It was that that fateful day at that idea brunch. And it sounds really corny, but my friend Christy got up, pitched to the room, what if there were engineering toys like Legos aimed at girls? Because for so many years, those construction toys have been marketed to boys And she grew up with three older brothers, and so she played with their hand-me-down engineering toys. And those toys made her want to be an engineer. And what a shame that they all had boys on the front of the box. And I remember that moment sitting there. It it was like the light bulb went off. And it's it's like that aha moment. I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is what I was born to do. It was really like an epiphany. And my mind just started racing. And after the, when the idea brunch was over and everyone had gotten up and shared my idea, it was like this terrible idea, (laughs) some kind of like (laughs) massage chair or something. Um, But afterward, I remember going up to Christy just saying, you know, this idea is, I mean, this is like one of the best ideas I've ever heard. And I think I never grew up playing with construction toys just because I grew up in a household with me and my younger sister. And it just didn't occur to my parents to ever buy them for us because, you know, we, we played with dolls and dress up. And so when I got to college and I took that first ME 101 class, I was, I was really at a disadvantage. A lot of the prototyping that we were doing in that class, we were building things a lot of that prototyping was actually done with construction toys. And most of my classmates were male. 
And they, they were all Lego masters by that point. And I realized that those kinds of toys really are influential, not only in building motor and spatial skills, but also just confidence in general in building stuff. It sounds really crazy, but in that moment, I just knew, like, this this is my calling. And it took me several months to build up the courage to actually quit my day job at that jewelry company and take the entrepreneurial leap. But every day that went by, that that belief and that desire to, to do this just kept getting stronger and stronger. And so I just knew at some point, like, I, I will never forgive myself if I don't give it a try. I mean, well, first of all, I love the idea of an idea brunch. Like, Sam, I think we need to start hosting those. (laughs) I know. Can we join your idea brunches? Do you still host them? I haven't done one in so long, but I would love to do it again because they're so much fun. It gave birth to Goldie Block, so it's a sign that idea brunches are successful. I love when you said that this was an idea that it was just, like, stuck in your head and, like, you, you couldn't get it out. And... After you have an idea, oftentimes the next step for a founder is to go raise financing. What was really interesting is that you were able to raise the first financing for Goldie Blocks on Kickstarter. But it's, I imagine it was also like a terrifying moment. Like you put your idea out there. You have no idea if the world is going to like it. Can you tell us a bit about what that was like? It was completely terrifying. Right before the Kickstarter, I had spent my entire life savings on Goldie Blocks, on getting an initial prototype made, starting to get some patent protection, like that kind of stuff. It all started adding up. And I got to the point where if this was going to move forward, I needed to invest in it. After going back and forth with the factory, I had this prototype that I really liked and was happy with. But in order to actually go into mass manufacturing and bring a product to market, these factories, and because of the type of toy that it was, it was a a construction toy. So it's injection molded plastic. And so in order to make this thing, we actually had to make this giant steel mold uh, to pour the plastic into multiple molds. And each mold costs like at least $10,000. So this was going to be like major money to actually go. It's not like I could make, you know, 50 toys and start selling them and seeing how it went. You know, I had a minimum order quantity. I believe it was a 5,000 units. And so that was going to cost me about $150,000 just to get this thing off the ground. And, and that was just, you know, completely beyond what I could do. So, so then I had a couple of options. I could either go and, and try to raise the money and go and try to get orders from toy stores or go up on Kickstarter. And what I was starting to learn after speaking to a bunch of toy stores and I actually went to the New York Toy Fair was there was this belief in the toy industry that girls don't play with construction toys, that it's actually like biologically girls aren't interested in construction toy play, that it's a boy play pattern. What? What year was this? This was in 2012. There was this, it was this like unspoken truth in the toy industry that the girls just don't, don't play that way. The girls like dolls and, and, and that they wouldn't, that it would never work. The only way to do it was I needed to prove 
them wrong. Like I needed to prove that that was outdated thinking. And so that's why I did the Kickstarter campaign, not only because I needed the money, but I also needed this proof point to be able to go back to these toy stores and say, look, you're wrong. Parents want this and girls, girls can be builders too. If a toy was made with them in mind, you know, they would thrive. And so, so that's what I did. And you raised close to a million or was it just over a million dollars before you even placed that initial order on Kickstarter, right? The Kickstarter campaign raised over a quarter million dollars. Incredible. It was, it was just incredible. And, and the campaign, I had a goal of $150,000, which was just the minimum of what I needed to make this first production run. And the campaign hit its goal in in the first four days. I mean, it was just, wow. it was unbelievable. And, and I remember at the time hitting the publish button on that campaign. And it was, it was a really scary moment. The campaign just took, it absolutely took off. And I was just thrilled. And I was so proud because it was like an I told you so moment. And on the last day of the campaign, I got an inbound email from the head buyer at Toys R Us. And so it was just this unbelievable moment where, again, it was like only a few months prior, I'd been at the New York Toy Fair and everyone kind of laughed me out of the exhibition. And then here I am just a few months later and everyone wants to get their hands on this toy. Now you're being courted. (laughs) Exactly. And then a few months after that, you were in Toys R Us. Yes. Yes, then they placed an order so and were on the shelves of Toys R Us. So it really just went viral practically overnight. And I think it was just because the Kickstarter campaign and the whole story behind the toy, I think it really scratched an itch for parents that they didn't even know that they had, where it was like we were shining a light on a problem in our society. It's 2012, and when you go to the toy store, all the girl toys are in the pink aisle. And all these play patterns are really limiting and they're perpetuating all these gender stereotypes. And meanwhile, over in the blue aisle, those are the toys that are actually building motor and spatial skills and building confidence and STEM. Like, this is a problem. And the best part was once we started shipping the toys, the girls really loved them. I'm with you there. Can you tell us a little bit more about that process? You mentioned storytelling. Can you just tell us about that process of taking a technical concept and turning that into a toy? What does that entail? And can you share an example? Sure. So as I started doing my very early research into Goldie Blocks, I was trying to just figure out, you know, why is it that construction toys have been a boy play pattern for so many years? And how do girls and boys play differently? Are there differences? Are there gender gender differences in the way that kids play and, and learn? And one of the things that I started observing in all of my research was I found in particular girls really loved um, story-driven narrative play. Boys love that kind of play as well. Uh, But girls in particular, especially with construction toys, when I put construction toys in front of them, they would tend to want to build things for a purpose. They'd want to play out a story. And I found that really interesting And that sort of started to inspire me in how I might design a toy for a girl differently than I might design for a boy. Girls at the time, and and still to this day, were really lacking role models of a girl engineer, right? Just like this Tech Setters podcast. I mean, it's existing. Like, let's show women in tech, let's show women in STEM so that other women can see, okay, I see someone 
who I can relate to doing this and it gives me confidence I can do it too. And it makes me more interested in it. The same is true for young girls, right? They need to see a girl inventor, a girl coder, uh, you know, a girl engineer, because they're inundated with girl princesses and girl pop stars. They don't see in their toys and media girl girls, STEM girls, right? And so that that was the big part of the problem I realized was in children's toys and media, all the inventors were boys. You know, there was Sid the Science Kid and Handy Manny and Thomas the Train and Bill Nye the Science Guy. Bob the Builder. Bob yeah. the Builder. And then all the construction toys would have those characters. And so it was just this like self-propagating issue, right? And so when I started tackling how would I make construction toys for girls, I also invented a char- some characters. Um, Goldie Blocks and Ruby Rails uh, were my first two characters. And Goldie being more of the mechanical engineer and Ruby being more of the software engineer. And so every toy that I made also included these characters building things to help solve problems, like building a, a dunk tank to trick her dog into getting clean. So little stories like that that I started to create around the toys so that uh, girls would be interested. They would be more interested because they wanted to emulate these girl characters that they like and do what they do, which is build. And then they also want to build things that solve a problem or have a purpose. That purpose-driven learning really resonates with me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, where can I find these toys? I want to play with them this weekend. Well, obviously, Goldie Block. In addition to that type of character development, you also have your YouTube channel, right? So fast forward, girls. This stat, I mean, I want you to tell us all about it, but this stat really stood out to me in a survey that you did. You saw that girls 11 to 15 were twice as likely to feel confident and knowledgeable about career options in STEM after watching your videos. I mean, that is huge. And just from hearing your examples, I'm like, wow, you really have gotten to the heart of what it means to take these concepts that you're like, whoa, this is kind of cool and dive into, okay, what's actually going on behind the scenes and how can we actually help you see this as something you actually are interested in or you could be. So can you tell me about some of the mission behind the show. I know that If Then is an incredible supporter and sponsor. We love If Then. Um, Can you share some of the impact that you've seen this show have on inspiring girls and fulfilling the If Then mission of if we can inspire women in STEM, then she can change the world? Totally. And I'll I'll start with, you know, our YouTube channel. We really wanted to take that insight that we had around our toys, right? The storytelling is so important and that girls need to see characters that look like them and inspire them to get into STEM. And, um, and what better way to do that than on YouTube, right? Because there's so many girls spend so much time watching YouTube videos and it's like, okay, if girls are going to watch, um, makeup tutorials or DIY or slime videos. Like, could we also create videos on YouTube that would make STEM careers look cool and interesting and show them awesome female STEM role models? And so we partnered with Lida Hill Philanthropies, if then initiative on just that. And we created this series called fast forward girls, really using all of the lessons that we'd learned over the last several years. And what we found was um, in order to make these STEM concepts really interesting, 
we had this really great formula that we figured out where we would take a young girl, a YouTube influencer, you know, they may or may not be interested in STEM yet, but what if we took them on, you know, a day in the life uh, field trip to go meet an amazing real life woman in STEM and learn about her job. Uh, we were able to do just incredible storytelling that girls really loved because one, they had sort of this peer aged guide and working with these, if then uh, female role models who, I mean, each one of them is, I mean, just incredible. And um, we worked really hard to, um, to make sure that, that, um, the way it was directed and the way the story was told that we would talk that, that, that the, their STEM careers would be explained and talked about just in a way that's easy for kids to understand. Right. Um, and, and so I think that in doing that, we, we were really effective at achieving just great results with the series. I mean, girls who watched it just hands down, were far more interested in STEM after they saw it than before, less intimidated by engineering and math, more interested in exploring those fields. Congratulations on all the success that you've had with Fast Forward Girls. The stat that Sam shared earlier was so inspiring, and I feel like it's kind of emblematic of one of our our guiding quotes at TechSetters, which is like, you can't be what you can't see. Like when a young girl sees another one of their peers on your YouTube channel, it it like makes them feel like they can do it too. Uh, and and speaking of you can't be what you can't see, I think your story has also been a huge inspiration to me. I actually, I don't think I mentioned this to you before, but I think it was my freshman or sophomore year of college that you were the keynote speaker at Grace Hopper. And I remember listening to your talk and being so inspired. And then I read about you and... Amy Poehler's Smart Girls, and how successful you've been is just is, is so inspiring. And so one thing I, I think we always love to ask people who have achieved so much success is like, how do you how do you stay hungry? Like, what's like the North Star for the impact that you want to have on the world? So that makes me so happy that you were there in the audience at my Grace Hopper keynote. It was I might have um, a photo actually. It was such a great event. I um, went on and and did a keynote, and then right after me was Melinda Gates. So you know, wow. no pressure, right? <laughs> you know, I. I can't help but continue to stay hungry for Goldie Blocks because Goldie Blocks was born as a social mission really before it was, before it started as a company. And the social mission was to close the gender gap in STEM and to focus on, on childhood, you know, and to focus on kids in particular. There's a really leaky pipeline all the, along the way, but you know, my belief was, well, I think if Goldie Blocks can help change shift perceptions in, in kids under 12, then we're going to get more girls into that pipeline, into the funnel. And I think Goldie Blocks has done tremendous work. I'm so proud of it. We've been around now for nearly a decade. We've sold, you know, millions of toys and books and app downloads. And my ultimate dream was, you know, one day Goldie Blocks and the characters that we're creating, Goldie Blocks and Ruby Rails and like our girl our girl engineers could be the next princess, right? And and it's so funny, but I just have this image in my head and it's my North Star and it's such a specific little image. But like one day I want to be at an international airport, like Heathrow or something. And I'm walking through the terminal 
and there's like little girls and they're like rolling a suitcase with like Goldie Blocks characters on it. That's when I know I've made it when we've had that kind of, of impact. Wow. Manifesting. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're also just changing the perception of what engineering is and who it's for, which is so fundamental and starting from that age group is so impactful. I, I mean, I remember when I was taking my first computer science class, that was all the way in college. And I remember the first assignment, I was like still trying to wrap my head around what programming was. And you mentioned earlier, just feeling so far behind. I remember my peers came in with like coding since they were in middle school or high school. And it felt almost impossible for me to ever catch up. So can you talk about a time that you encountered an obstacle in college or in your career that felt impossible to overcome? Oh, totally. I mean, I've had so many early on, you know, probably in our first year or so, you know, I experienced what was probably like my worst nightmare of what I'd been afraid of since like my biggest fear was that we, you know, we launched Goldie Blocks, this engineering toy for girls and that the toys would not be like top, top, top quality and that they wouldn't work perfectly and that girls would then end up getting frustrated and they actually wouldn't be interested in engineering because the toys weren't working right. And then, and then the whole world would laugh, ah, ha, ha, here's this girl engineer who wasn't as good as the boy engineer. In our early days, we had so much demand practically overnight. I mean, we had to ramp production like, like that. Our first Kickstarter order of those 5,000 units, that was manageable because we'd been planning for that. But after the Kickstarter campaign was finished, we ended up going viral again and selling almost a million dollars in pre-orders. And so that first production run had to increase from 5,000 units to about, I think it was 30 or 40,000 units for our first run. And what ended up happening was we shipped out tens of thousands of toys and in some of them, the holes in the blocks were like a little bit too loose to build the um, parade float that we had in our second toy. And it wasn't like, it wasn't like a defect, like it still worked, but it was like kind of frustrating and we were starting to get some complaints and I had to make a really big call at the time. And so step one was like, okay, what's the problem? there's probably an engineering solve here to get the holes working properly. And we solved that very quickly. And we immediately started um, implementing that at our factory. And uh, we actually changed the shape of hole of the hole from a circle to an octagon so that it had more tightness against the axle that was supposed to go inside of it. So it was a pretty cool um, engineering fix. But then we were like, okay, but now what are we going to do about all of these customers that were disappointed? So we ended up making a big decision. We actually reached out to everyone we possibly could who had bought that toy and we offered to replace their blocks for free. And we ended up replacing about a million blocks and that was not cheap. And when, when we sent the blocks replacement, we included a letter from Goldie to the kid with the engineering lesson of how she fixed the problem from the circle to the octagon shape. What? You debugged it. We just used it as this moment to like teach a lesson. Engineering 
any product is a process, right? You're not going to get it perfect right out the gate. You know, you're going to be constantly making improvements along the way. And that's what, that's what engineering and product design is all about. So we have to, you know, forgive ourselves and not hold ourselves to these impossible standards. And just remember, like, this is all a learning process. And as long as you're committed to what you're doing and keep making improvements along the way, like you'll get there. That's so beautiful. Do you have any actionable advice that you would like to impart to our incredible listeners that you would have given to yourself when you were starting out earlier in your career or even at that time when you were encountering what felt like this crazy bug, but you turned it into an opportunity? I think my advice to anyone listening to this podcast who's probably maybe maybe interested in exploring STEM or tech I mean, these are all male-dominated fields. Through all of my engineering classes in college to tech and entrepreneurship in my adult career and navigating the toy industry, it's always intimidating being one of the only women in the room or in the classroom or at the conference or at the event. And I've tended to find myself having to navigate, grow culture, call it if you will, where guys sometimes can be really intimidating. And as a result, I've often, you know, early in my career found myself either trying to fake it to sort of fit in, even though that's not really how I naturally would would talk or engage or interact, or just constantly be be thinking to myself, oh, you're just not smart enough. You're not good enough. You can't do this. Over time, what I've learned is First and foremost, and number one, it actually takes like a lot of courage and bravery to just admit when you don't know something and that that's okay. For so long, I always tried to fake kind of knowing everything. And I've got over the years, I've gotten more kind of comfortable in my own skin of just being me. And I don't anymore ever try and be something I'm not or act a certain way that I'm not to try to fit in. And it's like not a competition and I don't need to act like them or be like them to belong in the room and to make change and, and, you know, and to contribute to building a better world. So for each episode, we love to have a lightning round of bite-sized questions, kind of like computer bite. And these are just like fun, quick questions. And the first one is, what do you wear to feel most powerful? I like to wear bright colors when I'm going to important events because a lot of people will be wearing gray or neutrals or tan, and I like showing up in a bright magenta dress. <laughs> Love it. What is one toy from Goldie Blocks that every child should try? I have to say our cloud dream lamp right now is Ooh. one of my favorite toys. You build a nightlight for your bedroom that looks like a real cloud but as you're building it you're learning how circuits work and you actually have to use a real led strip to make your light function okay that sounds really really cool why is steam important to you steam is really important to me because it opened up so many doors for me personally growing up i didn't realize that i had it in me to be a really good engineer. And I always loved art, but I didn't realize that that art and engineering and math can go hand in hand. For me, to pursue mechanical engineering and product design was the first 
chance that I got to see how engineering and art can go together. And that's what made it really interesting for me. I love that answer because I feel like growing up, a lot of times people or kids can be classified in buckets. It's like, you're like a right brain person or a left brain person. You're like, you're an art person and you're a STEM person. But I think that you kind of show that you can be both. Who is a dream collaborator? And it could be a brand or individual that you would love to work with for Goldie Blocks? Ooh, there's so many. I think right now I have my heart set on one day collaborating with Roblox. 40% of its users are young girls and they're on there playing games and building stuff. And there's such an opportunity to introduce STEM, STEAM concepts to girls through Roblox, getting them excited about building worlds or even coding their own games. There's a lot of girls on there now already doing that, but I think there's an opportunity to do even more of that. And I think that Goldie Blocks as a brand in partnership with Roblox could do some really incredible, impactful things for kids all over the world. I can totally see like you build a house or something in Roblox and then being able to build it using Goldie Blocks like in person would be so cool. Who is a female founder you're inspired by? There are so many female founders that inspire me. Uh, one that comes top of mind is a woman named Yalitza Jean Charles. She founded a company called Healthy Roots Dolls um, several years ago because she was looking at the marketplace and noticed that there were really no dolls on the market that resembled her, an African-American woman, and she wanted to do something about it. So she created a doll that was authentic to her culturally and, and really put a lot of thought into what does this doll look like and how could girls play with this doll's hair in a way that teaches them to love their hair. I really admire her because she's had an enormous amount of grit along the way and has faced a lot of obstacles and that didn't stop her and she just kept building anyway. And last year, her product just went viral. That's phenomenal. I think having that type of representation is so important, especially as a young person. And when you only see a single definition of what a doll can look like, how else are you supposed to understand what else can be beautiful? So I think that's incredible. What's one college class that everyone should take? Hands down, everyone should take ME 101. And for those of you who don't know, that stands for Mechanical Engineering 101. That was the class that changed my life. And as a high schooler, if you had told me to go take it, I would have laughed it off and thought, no way, that wouldn't be for me. But luckily, my freshman year in college, I tried ME 101. And it just blew my mind because that class for me really introduced the concept of how engineering can be about inventing things that don't exist or making things better and building stuff with your hands to solve problems and that idea of just learning the basic skills to become an inventor and an innovator. It's so empowering. Well, you make me want to go back to college because I missed the boat on that one. <laughs> I know you're an If Then ambassador and we love If Then. What is your personal If Then mantra? My mantra is if she can learn how stuff is made, then she can make it her way. She can change the world. 
That's amazing. I think it's so important just for people to see the behind the scenes of what they use every day and break that down. And that's such a great way to introduce STEM concepts. So what is the Goldie Blocks elevator pitch? Goldie Blocks is a media and toy company on a mission to get girls interested in STEM. That's perfect. I love how to the point that pitch was. And like, I love that you own who you are. And to be honest, I have never heard of any other mechanical engineer, jewelry designer, founder. So <laughs> I feel like your story is so inspiring to to Sam and I and, and to all of our listeners. So thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us on Tech Setters. We are definitely going to be buying Goldie Blocks right after this. And also be so fun to do an ideal brunch sometime. Oh, I'm in. Tech Setters is a Code with Classy podcast powered by If Then. If we can empower a woman in STEM, then she can change the world. 